Hey, William. Let me make you the speaker. All right, I'm going to get started. Uh, so, my, again, my apologies. Uh, I have recently moved and uh, to my new base, which is uh, on the border of uh, Pennsylvania and Delaware. And uh, the cell phone signal is really, really bad. I did not notice it uh, when Amanda, uh, a frequent uh, caller, mentioned to me back in the November the 6th, uh, Sunday, November the 6th, but I did not notice that. But on the on the 13th, last uh, Sunday, it was really bad. I tried twice, once in the morning at 11 and once at 8 o'clock at night. And then my phone keep telling me I'm losing the internet connections. So I gave up eventually. So I moved the uh, the uh, podcast today. So once again, my apologies. And uh, the... Uh, I got this uh, episode uh, from this guy. Uh, his name is uh, Tristan Harris, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, Tristan Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. Uh, by the way, if you hear any noises, it's really because uh, I actually have to drive to a place where there's a better cell phone signal, uh, just to make sure this uh, podcast is recorded properly. So this Tristan Harris, he is a former Google manager or executives. He's self-labeled as a ethicist, a technology ethicist. He is the executive director and the co-founder of the Center for Human Technology. So he made some very interesting uh, statement about uh, TikTok. As, as we all know, TikTok is one of the many social media apps. Calling is one, YouTube is another, Facebook, True Social, you name it. These are all social media. And we do know many people, including myself probably, are very addicted to social media. Uh, by the way, actually, I'm not active on Facebook. Uh, and uh, I only do this in calling because... Uh, Calling can allow me to remain anonymous and all that. So, hey, Amanda, good morning. Uh, so this guy is on 60 Minutes, Tristan Harris. Basically, he says there's a two version of TikTok. The Chinese version in China, he called it a spinach version, spinach, the vegetable. While the American version is the Opium version, O-P-I-U-I-M, whatever that is, opium version, the drug. So the 60 Minutes cut a one-minute intro about this segment. And in the actual 60 Minutes segment, it talks a whole lot more about how social media is ruining this country, which I, you know, I don't necessarily disagree. All right. But the fact is that this guy called himself an ethicist. And then he made a very outlandish allegation that the TikTok version in China is a spinach, a vegetarian version. While the American TikTok version is a 
opium version. That got me thinking. And the first of all, I was like, what is an ethicist? Do they have to get a license to call themselves an a ethicist? Like, if you want to be a doctor, you have to be licensed. You have to go to medical school. If you want to be a lawyer, you have to go to law school and get past the bar exams and all that. So the F, being an ethicist is very judgmental, right? This show is about judicial white privilege. Judicial is something about judging others, judging cases. So this particular guy, again, Tristan Harris, he is clearly a self-claimed ethicist with no license. And he made a very, very outlandish allegation that China is a promote, uh, is a present, uh, you know, is a popularizing a opium version of TikTok while keeping a vegetarian version in China. Here is the hilariously oxymoronic situation. The actual 60 minutes segment where this guy, Tristan Harris, is just one of the interviewees is actually talking about how the people are using inflammatory languages on social media to get clicks, to get more views, to increase the traffic. So it's very interesting that basically the entire segment is about how divisive the social media has made this country to be. And uh, like I said earlier, I actually agree with that concern. I share the same concern. But the, here's the funny part. It is the exact inflammatory language and the allegations made by this, quote, ethicist, end quote, Tristan Harris, in this uh, a minute and a half intro, alleging that there were two versions of TikToks. One is a vegetarian version in China. Another is an opium version in the United States. That all by itself is an inflammatory language intended to increase viewership by the mainstream media. So the funny part is this. While the mainstream media, such thing called the 60 Minutes, which I completely disrespect these days, they're a piece of shit. I don't even bother. I only got interested because I saw this on YouTube. This one minute and a half intro about two versions of a TikTok. So I watch it. So it's funny is that while mainstream media is criticizing social media, being provocative, being inflammatory, itself is doing the same with a, a, a so-called, unquote, uh, quote, ethicist, unquote, Tristan Harris. So that got me to talk about today's topic. I call it white ethicism, ethicism, E-T-H-I-C-I-S-N, like a truthism. So today's topic is white ethicism, white privilege, and white supremacy.
So ethicism, I got this idea from Stephen Colbert, the great Stephen Colbert back when he was doing Colbert Report. He invented many words, very interesting words. One of them is truthism, meaning the media, actually, the mainstream media really doesn't care about truth, facts. They care about truthism. Truthism is to provoke, to be, to inflame, to, to claim self-righteousness, to, 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 to grab, to occupy the, quote, moral high ground, unquote. That's called truthism. Ethicism is a self-proclaimed license to be the ethicist for the entire human world. Again, this Tristan Harris is considered to be the, 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 the executive director and the co-founder of the, quote, Center for, human, uh, for Humane Technology, end quote. Is that, you know, so he, that's why when I, in my update last Sunday, I mentioned, I just noticed after watching this guy, Tristan Harris, that predominantly the ethicist, being a bioethicist about uh, assisted suicide, you know, ethicist, like technology ethicist, talking about technology, ethicist about the environment, predominantly they are whites. They're whites. So I was like, okay, what exactly give the color the qualifying factor to be ethics? Does ethics need to be licensed? Is there a professional conduct board that govern that governs these ethicist languages being on social media or being on mainstream media? There's none. So this is where that got me just very, very excited. It's once again what I always said when I do this show is that you really have to go back to 1826 to that original critical race theory school teaching material called the moral and the political chart of the inhabited world, where that particular chart it's a moral chart. It's a map. It's a, it's a moral GPS. Talking about the value systems, the, the political systems of the world. Who is superior? Who's inferior? Who is civilized? Who is a, a semi-civilized? Half-civilized? And who are savages? So in three areas, like I said, in medicine, in environment and in technology, we do need discussions in ethics. We do. We do have values, right? You may have a Christian value, you have a Muslim value, you have a Buddhist value. It could be values from non-religious reasons. You know, Chinese, in my opinion, is a separate value system all by itself. Right? How we discuss this value in a racially uh, ra reasonable way. 
culturally reasonable way. To me, it's important. Like I said before, is that I have always tried to find out why those uh, Supreme Court judges in the past, well-educated, very privileged, very smart, don't forget, reads extremely well, writes extremely well, why these people will say things such as uh, alien races, savages, inferior, in their writing, they are in their actual court decisions. When the law clearly says, the Constitution of the United States clearly says, this country should not have any class by race, should have any class by religion, should not have any class by national origins. Why do you do that? The only explanation I can have is this moral and political chart of the inhabited world, in which it clearly says whites, specifically Europeans, are the moral superior race. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Now, before I move forward, I just want to quickly introduce one thing that I actually do not know until maybe four years later. It's something very Chinese. As a Chinese, I don't even know myself. There is a student from South Korea who is studying in China. So he talked to his classmates and his classmates published this. He said this, when he's in high school in South Korea, it's a required reading of an old Chinese book. It's about ethics. It's about personal conduct. It's about how to be an honorable human being. By the way, like I said, I do not even know about it. It's a required reading for a high school student in South Korea. It's a Chinese writing. It's dated in back to 1500. Okay. So if you Google that, I will, I'll just quickly tell you, you know, how to spell it. If you Google that, feel free to Google that. It spells C-A-I, not C-I-A, but C-A-I, G-E-N, like a general, G-E-N, T-A-N, like a tanning, T-A-N, one word. In Chinese, it means vegetable roots talk. It is a 1590 text written by a Ming Dynasty scholar and a philosopher. It's a combination of a three teachings, Taoism, Confucius, and another one. I'm sorry, you can, as you can tell, I'm so Americanized, I don't even know all the Chinese stuff. But this is actual book, a must-read book, in South Korea by a high school student to learn how to conduct himself as a human being. Okay, that is not from any Christian teaching. It's not from any Muslim teaching or Buddhist teaching. It's completely from Chinese teaching. Okay, and there's a lot of, you know, rules involving that. So, 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 so I digress. I just want to, you know, quickly introduce that is a, actual book written in 1590 
about how to be an ethical, moral person in Chinese. So I want to go back to the ethicist. An ethicist, by the Wikipedia definition, is the one whose judgment on ethics and ethical codes has come to be trusted by a specific community and is expressed in some way that makes it possible for others to mimic or approximate that judgment. Following the advice of ethicists is one means of acquiring knowledge about what that ethicist says. So, 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 so again, it's all about judgment. And then my question will be, who is to judge whom? What gave the rights of a one specific community to judge another? But that is something I kind of want to delve into today. Because uh, like I always said, I concluded that I think this so-called judicial white privilege actually comes from this original moral chart, teaching these judges that yes, being white and being Christian, you are morally superior than any non-white or than any non-Christians. I think that's how you know, it's coming coming about. Okay, so, so, so I, I'm going to say that's I want to get started with. So now I'm going to go to the introduction. So uh, Amanda, again, uh, thank you for telling me about this uh, Stephen Donzinger's uh, article about the gerrymandering last time, and. Uh, I did a, I did not do a quick read for the reasons this. Steven Donzinger is a hell of a lawyer. What he did is just unworldly. Okay, that is exactly my point. There is always some lawyers who are badass. You know, some even take the uh, uh, violent means using guns. You know, that uh, Bernadine uh, uh, Dorn and uh, the uh, Weather Underground. All these people, they study laws at school. They decided no, the legal system doesn't work. Okay, Stephen Donzinger, Donzinger is just another one of those. But of course, he I consider him a civil insurrectionist. He does things civilly, but he does things that's unheard of. Okay, but the reason I did not read his article is this, Amanda, is that gerrymandering is an ongoing issue since a long time ago. And I don't consider him to be uh, uh, Mr. Donzinger uh, expert in that. And I have, you know, dealt with this quite a bit, which you know I'm going to explain. So that's why I did not read. But I want to show is this gerrymandering, as you know, is about drawing maps, electoral maps, redistricting, whatever you call it, right? Think about it. It's about drawing lines, drawing a border, drawing a border to say you cannot cross this line. Okay, this particular action. Okay, it's a political action, right? Uh, by, by the way, I understand there's gerrymandering both by Democrats and gerrymandering by the Republicans. I do not care that much about the political fights among these two parties, okay? But I do care greatly about gerrymandering 
for the purpose of suppressing racial minorities' votes, which we do know has happened in the past, right? Suppressing of black suppression of black votes has been, I think, priority number one for the Jim Crow people. They just want to come up with all kinds of uh, excuses to prevent racial minorities to participate in the political process of this country. So gerrymandering is just another layer, another barrier, another scheme of things to prevent racial minorities to participate in in, in voting or, or, or to suppress their political representation, basically. So the key with the gerrymandering is this. It's still drawing lines, right? So like I always said, I'm always amazed that there's a four indelible landmarks in America that is the proof of white privilege. That's reservation for the natives, plantation for the blacks, internment camps, and the U.S. territory overseas. All these four things are symbol of white privilege, meaning these are uniquely only for non-whites. They Remember this, all four of them have a border lines. They all have borders, not drawn by the Native Americans, not drawn by the black people, not drawn by the Japanese, not drawn by the Puerto Ricans. They are drawn by the whites, for the non-whites. Going back to gerrymandering, it's just redrawing those electoral maps. So as you can tell, I see through these things just by applying the same principle, same angle, same perspective, saying there is a high, high there's a moral supremacy, moral supremacy, given by the Christian whites, to Christian whites. So they're the one to judge. They're the one to draw these borders. They're the one to draw these lines for election, for voting, for where you can live, and what kind of limitation you, can, you must have. Okay? Now, this is not a, a, a some kind of a, it just happened here in the U.S. I have just learned last week is that uh, uh, I think in Africa there's a 56 countries. I can be wrong about this. Correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. In Africa, I'm told the boundaries, the border lines of those African countries are mostly drawn by the European powers. They are, not, they are not determined by the Africans. Just think about it. Just think about the map of China with, uh, I think, it's 28 provinces, if I remember correctly. All these provinces, these border lines are not even drawn by the Chinese. They are drawn by the Western power. Of course, that's not the case. The border lines of all the provinces in China are actually drawn by the Chinese. But in Africa, in Africa, 
all those borderlines are drawn by the Europeans, not by Africans. So, so this is where I want to go back is that, you know, we talk about, you know, I know Brady is big on environment. I am too, you know, I want to, you know, I think our children, our grandchildren deserve a same beautiful America as we are, you know, enjoying these days, right? But who has the moral authorities to say, oh, you can do this or you cannot do that? So, so, so this is the the main thing I, I, I want to talk about. So, and you know, in a similar situation, you know, uh, I'm sorry, in a similar related news, you know, related news is also this. This right now, the on the Supreme Court, which I'm going to comment in the future, there is a pending case in the Supreme Court about a, a, a white couple adopted a, 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 a Native American child. And for some reason, I think the, bio, uh, the biological mother, biological mother of this child regretted he, she wanted his child back and all that. So, but anyway, it's, it's up in the U.S. Supreme Court. And, you know, our New York Post, which is a conservative outlet, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's written as this. Quote, Chad and Jennifer Brackeen, a white couple from Texas, never imagined expanding their family by adopting Native American children would take them all the way to the Supreme Court. But that's where the 40-year-old parents from outside Fort Worth found themselves Wednesday as the lead plaintiffs in a federal lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of the Indian Child Welfare Act. A law passed by Congress in 1978 that prioritized placing Native American children in foster or adoptive homes with the tribal relatives. Chief Justice Marshall, uh, sorry, uh, end quote. That's the uh, you know that's a, a portion of the uh, New York Post article. What I want to say is this: the leading paragraph is very interesting. A very innocent white couple from Texas, they just want to expand their family. They adopted Native American children. Now, all of a sudden, it becomes a case. I sense a moral, I will not use the word outrage, a moral uh, surprise. But how come these couple who just naturally want to expand their family, not being allowed to adopt Native American children. Right? You know, the hurdle they have to overcome is this is called the Indian Child Welfare Act, a law passed up by, by Congress. So these white couple saying this law is unconstitutional because we have the natural rights probably to expand our family. Once again, there is a moral superiority in that. Because the US government actually don't give a shit about the well-being of Native American children. As we know, there's a whole bunch of so-called Indian children's schools managed by the army of the United States, where a lot of Indian children, Native American children were housed there. And uh, like 
you know, it's, it's, it's a sad tale all by itself. We know that. And secondly, as I told before, is that I'm going to read this. I have uh, in the in this episode I call the strategic ambiguity. Uh, this uh, this episode, I've talked about. There's always an ambiguous legal status of racial minorities in America. One of them is the Native Americans. Exactly who are they, these tribal nations? Are they a separate nation? Can they send ambassadors to Africa, to China, to to Russia, to to United Nations? I've been trying to you know figure that out. But now I learned that the Chief Justice Marshall have termed the tribes as a quote domestic dependent nations unquote, with the federal tribal relationship resembling that of a word to a word to his guardian unquote. So if the all those tribal nations, they are the dependent nation of the United States, then what's the point? The U.S. is completely dominating the tribal nation. We can do whatever we want to do with the Native American children. Is that right? So, so here again, you know, I do not know how the U.S. Supreme Court will We'll, we'll decide on this. I'm going to comment on this when they make a decision. But I want to bring out this. This is once again, this uh, ethicism, meaning that, oh, how come a normal parent not allowed to expanding their family by adopting Native American children? That's moral outrage. But it's a little bit complicated than that. That's why I said it's it's about ethicism. It's about, it's not about what is an ethicist thing to do, what is a moral thing to do. It's who gets that moral superiority to make such a decision, to make such a judgment. So, 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 so that's that. And, uh, and now I'm going to, you know, talk about two di- distinguished, very dis- very well-educated scholars. One is Amy Wax, and the other is a Peggy McIntosh. Amy Wax, I talked a lot about her in my past episodes. She's a law professor at the University of Pennsylvania, Ivy League Law School. She has an impeccable educational background. Google her, Amy Wax, W-A-X. Peggy McIntosh is the uh, probably the among the very first person who write about white privilege back in the 80s. I had an email exchange with Professor McIntosh. Amy Wax and Mac, uh, Peggy McIntosh is probably on the two extreme end of the political uh, spectrum. Amy Wax literally said that racial oppression, including slavery, it was uh, like a car accident. It's not an intentional act. 
by the government of the United States. It's just a accident. Okay, Amy Wax is the one who was saying those uh, Indians, the Asian Indians from India, they should go back to their shithole country. Okay, this is Amy Wax. Packing. Peggy McIntosh, on the other end, is the very first few scholars who, 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 who brought up this concept of white privilege. But I will tell you this. Through my communication with uh, Professor McIntosh, I've explained to her that I have a, still have disagreement with her approach. Because uh, McIntosh's description, when I read it, is more of like this white privilege thing is really just a behavioral thing. It's a social phenomenon. And uh, it's just something that the white people is not aware of. And that's why she's pointing out. So I explained to her through my email saying, I see this is actually a deliberate scheme of things. I consider white privilege is actually a governmental privilege, a legal privilege. Today, you know, I want to prove to you guys that it's actually a moral privilege, a moral supremacy. That is for the whites to judge the rest. So that's something that I disagree with Packing uh, Macintosh. As a matter of fact, in the last email exchange I had with her, she was upset with me. She felt that I was falsely accusing her saying that her theory is uh, alleging that the white privilege is just a behavioral, social, accidental privilege. She disagreed with me. She said she actually always said that white privilege is a more structured, more legal privilege. So, you know, I stand corrected. You know, I, you know I'm pretty sure she, she, you know, she is sincere. Okay, so yeah. Just, just to, to catch up. So it's back in 1988, Professor McIntosh published the article, quote, white privilege and the male privilege, a personal account of coming to see correspondences through work in women's study, unquote. Now, I actually come to, back then, because I started the communication with uh, Professor McIntosh back in the 2016, this is six years ago, because I actually, back, back then, I disagreed with her about mixing the white privilege with the male privilege. Back then, I disagreed with her on that. I think two things are separate. But nowadays, before, uh, because of the Dobbs decision, where, in my opinion, the Supreme Court made a fundamentally unconstitutional decision when it comes to women's sovereignty, sovereignty rights over their body, I can actually come to agree with Professor McIntosh that white privilege actually is closely associated with the male privilege. Because after all, the original constitution is defined by the white males for the white males. Therefore, a woman's sovereignty over her body is kind of a set-aside topic. It's never explicitly defined in the Constitution. And that's exactly why Justice Alito said there's no such thing as abortion rights defined in the Constitution. Therefore, we're going to hand it back to the state. So I think 
After all, I think Mr. Uh, I mean, Professor McIntosh probably is right that white privilege is closely related to the male privilege. So having said that, as I said before, is that I've talked about from gerrymandering to reservation to plantation to U.S. territories overseas to internment camps. These are all with the borders lines drawn by the whites in the government for the non-whites. So this go back to, you know, once uh, this famous uh, founding father, ben Benjamin Franklin once said, we must indeed all hand together or most assuredly we shall all hand separately. So Benjamin Franklin, again, smartest, one of the smartest founding fathers among them all. He's saying, you know, we want to, you know, do a revolution against the British. We must all hand together or, or else we'll be conquered separately, one at a time, hand separately by the British. Using Benjamin Franklin's language, I felt the same way, is that under the moral supremacy, you know, still demonstrated by this guy, Tristan Harris, racial minorities are usually hand separately on moral ground, on legal ground, and on the political ground. So now, if you ask me, you know, thinking about the Second World War, the U.S. fought Nazis, right? Against a alien ra a nation who believe they are superior than the other human races, right? But afterwards, after the Second World War, this, this, does, did this moral chart stop playing a role in the United States government? I don't think so. I think what happened to the Korea War, to the, uh, to the Vietnam War, to a lot of uh, voting suppressions in the 60s, for the uh, uh, black labor movement, there's many, many cases in our core systems that shows that this moral chart of the inhabited world dated back to 1826 still is playing a role. Even you know, even you know, even today, even today. Okay, so I'm going to give a few more examples about this thing called the white ethicism. Again, ethicism is not about ethics. It's about who has the supremacy to be that ethicist. Okay, so as we know, today is the inaugural day, day one of uh, FIFA, the World Cup in Qatar, the first Middle Eastern, uh, Middle East countries, country that host the, uh, this event, right? There were 
lot of criticism from the West about the migrant laborers being abused, and uh, many many other you know criticisms of that. I mean, basically they say the FIFA should have never awarded this uh, hosting privilege to Qatar. But I'm very relieved to hear that commentators, including Piers Morgan, has come out say the West is has no authority to judge Qatar, and that they deserve to host uh, 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 this event because uh, soccer, as we know, is universal sports. It's the most widely watched sports, followed sports in the entire world. You can be a rich, from a rich country, poor country. You can be from a rich family or poor family. You can be an orphan. You can be adopted. You can be anyone. You likely will will follow soccer. Okay, so you know basically saying you know, in today's world, in today's world order, the West does not have that moral supremacy. To judge what happened, I mean, you know, my I heard that six thousand migrant laborers died in building up this、uh, World Cup event in Qatar, and,、uh, and 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 you know, of course, you know, anytime someone died being on an airplane on a on a construction site, it's a human tragedy, right? We all feel should feel sorry. And we should all feel sympathetic towards the、uh, those who passed away. But do we have the moral authority to judge Qatar? I know I don't. I know I don't. Okay. Another good example of this、uh, white ethicism is、uh, Joseph Borrell, which I talk about. Joseph Borrell is the foreign policy chief. Of the NATO, okay, he has used the word "garden people" and "jungle people." Europe are garden; the rest of the world are jungle, and the people from the jungle wants to come to the garden. So here again, Borrell has this self-claimed moral supremacy to judge on the ethics and the ethic codes. He is in that moral authority to say the garden peoples have laws, European Europe have laws, and Europeans follow laws. Jungle people, they don't have laws or they don't follow laws. Now back to our our talk, you know, our subject, Kristen Harris again. If you go watch that sixty minutes. He clearly said he's suggesting something very similar to another crisis. You know, if you consider the social media issue that's brought up by the so,、uh, by the social media, there's another crisis called a, a, a drug abuse, opiate crisis, right? There are a lot of discussions that the fentanyl is making a lot of killings in this country these days. A lot of accidental death from fentanyl. Overdose. I'm aware of that, but there's a many, many white ethicists is pointing fingers is that 
the final crisis is the fall of the Chinese. Who gave that more authority for them to make that accusation, to inflame? Nobody. They are self-appointed ethicists to make such judgment. So, by the way, I'm pretty sure the TikTok version in America is the same version that are in other countries, such as in Europe, such as in Africa. Okay, so literally what Tristan Harris is saying is that China has been exporting opium to the world. That's as you, you cannot get more inflammatory as this ethicist just did. So, so he, this is what I'm going to, you know, try to, try to uh, draw to the conclusion. Okay. So this is why I said the, this thing called the white privilege does just not happen. It comes from a, internal motivation or justification. It's this uh, white ethicism, meaning that we, the white people, are always fully civilized and moral, and it is a higher moral ground to judge others. This self-proclaimed white supremacy in morality and ethics established the white privilege to move the goalpost. You know, in a football game, you know, you know, there's a goalpost. There's a famous thing called the moving the goalpost. Moving the goalpost can be used to apply to gerrymandering, mandering, which is a redraw the district. So moving the goalpost, change the rule of the games. The racial dividing lines in this country is always drawn by the whites. As we know, on the Montgomery bus, when there is a separate but equal city code, there is a dividing line on the bus. And who is in charge of that dividing line? The white bus driver. Right? As I said, there is something called the sundown towns, meaning that when the sun sets on a town in the USA, the blacks must get out of town. So there is a moving line. When the sun sets down, the line is established and the blacks must move. Right, and you are on U.S. territory. If you're Puerto Ricans, you are not allowed to receive SSI benefit. The U.S. Supreme Court says so. Who draw that line? White majority. So, 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 so the the point is that now the Chinese come up with this a better. I'm not use the word better. A more viral and addictive social media platform nowadays. Now the white ethicists 
become all concerned. They're saying, oh, the TikTok is so addictive. You know? They're so bad. Yada, yada, yada. So basically it's this. For a white ethicist, it's called the damn you do, damn you don't. In other words, if China is a backwards, undeveloped, primitive, the white ethicist will say it's a shithole country. If China is developed, come up with a better, more viral, more addictive social media platform, just like Facebook, just like YouTube, just like any other social media platform, then they're bad people. They're drug peddlers. They're giving us an opium social media. What the hell is that? What the hell is that? It's, it's always for the whites to make that judgment. I've used, I've, I've mentioned this word. It's American, uh, you know, words. It's called the N-word gold. Meaning if a black person somehow got rich, he must got some N-word gold. Meaning that he must got those money, his fortune, through, through some illegal means. It's ethics, it's it's a moral judgment. Right? And and when the Chinese advance themselves, oh, they must be thieves. They steal from us. They commit a fraud against us. That's just a very routine narrative by these white ethicists. So 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 the last example I want to to demonstrate this moral supremacy, white moral supremacy, is about this Harvard admission scandal. Again, this is another U.S. Supreme Court case currently pending in the U.S. Supreme Court, in which basically Harvard has we has been we have a policy to require higher SAT scores from Asian American applicants. As I have said before, the lower score, the lower educational achievement by the African Americans is a result of the separate but equal doctrine established by the US Supreme Court. The racial gaps in educational achievement between blacks and the whites continue to grow even today. Okay? To overcome that, Harvard University somehow come up with the idea that Asian students must have a higher SAT score in order to be admitted. So my question is this. Has Asian does you know does Asia has any to do with the separate but equal doctrine? If they don't, how come the Asian applicants have to make rooms for the black applicants with a lower SAT score? Is this another moving goalpost for the Asians? But the key question is this. Who has that moral authority 
ethic, ethical authority to make such a judgment, saying, "Okay, guess what? We did something bad to the black people in the past. Now let us have those Asians to pay for it." Who has that moral authority? You, if you guessed it, you likely guessed it right. It will be another white moral supremacy to judge others, to say, "Oh, we know about Asians." They should score higher in SAT before they can get to Harvard. Again, Harvard is a, 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 a institution with the highest privilege, right? They have that privilege to make that. They think they have the privilege to make that moral judgment, saying it's okay, morally it's okay, legally I don't know. Supreme Court is going to decide that. Morally, Harvard has decided it's okay for the whites. To ask Asians to make rooms for the blacks in the college admission, isn't that interesting? Again, I'm not taking sides here. I do not know how the U.S. Supreme Court is the judge. I'm going to let them judge, and then you issue their decision, and I'll go from there. So that's the last, you know, example. Of white ethicism that I want to share with you guys today. Lastly, I want to talk about white supremacy, okay? Because I know you know a lot of people talk about white supremacists as being violent, uh, uh, gun carrying, and that. No, it's not that simple. It's not that narrow. It's much wider. You know, as you as you can imagine. You know, in my opinion, it's this: white supremacy in the past has operated in two legs. It operates on two things. It has to be on the two circumstances has to exist to make white supremacy happen. One is the moral supremacy. The second is the military supremacy. Meaning that you know, just think about it: the Europeans. Have to have a better firearms to conquer Africa, to conquer Native Americans, to conquer, you know, Brazil, Mexico, any other places, right? You have to have that military supremacy, and second, you have that have had that moral supremacy to achieve that. And as a matter of fact, when you have that moral supremacy. You sometimes don't even need the militaristic supremacy. You know, the military supremacy is the is the starting point. It's the first shot you shoot from a from a gunboat of coast of Hong Kong to order the Chinese government, the Qing Dynasty, to open up for opium trade. You have to have the military supremacy to start with, but. After your military supremacy and moral supremacy overcome the initial hurdle to colonize, to conquer, then moral supremacy usually is good enough. Moral supremacy is good enough to say we're having a separate but equal law, one for whites, one for blacks, separate accommodation. This is very moral. There's nothing wrong about it. 
Okay. But along in the history of this country, you still have some of those violent past that shows that when the moral supremacy no longer can suppress the advancement of a colored people, the violence will occur. I will give you examples that I heard about this is called the Denver Chinatown being burned down by a riot. We heard about the Black Wall Street being burned down by a riot, right? I know Japanese Americans has a pretty prosperous business in farming, in merchandising in California before the Japanese internment. I was on call with uh, Karen Korematsu, the daughter of Fred Korematsu, on C-SPAN back in nine, uh, 2015. She explained to me that those Japanese who lost their business, being in the farming, being merchandising, being in workshop and all that, they lost permanently. They never get it back. Okay? So, so when these moral supremacy and the white privilege cannot suppress the advancement of racial minorities, sometimes other things happen. And this is what happened using violent means, using guns, using violence. And, and I will give you a more recent example, not violent, but quite recent. I think uh, I'm told since Trump's presidency, Trump has this thing called the China Initiative, where he, the DOJ, again, corrupt prosecutors, corrupt government, when the government is the criminal, they chase after so many Chinese scientists in colleges and in, in high-tech companies. Nowadays, I'm told, 40% of the tenure professors China, well, uh, originally from China, are considering leaving the United States. That's good news for the white professors and the other professors. Because once again, there's a moral supremacy by the DOJ, by Trump, that these tenure professors of Chinese heritage, they are fraudsters, they are thieves, they are helping China to steal from us. 40% of them. The most recent figure I heard yesterday, again, the China Initiative started in, 20, uh, in 2018. It's been uh, four years now. I heard that from uh, yesterday from, a, uh, uh, from some numbers collected by some, some people that currently they tabulated 1,400 Chinese scientists has returned to China from the United States. I hope that's not true. I hope that it's a fake news because of that damage, the core competence of this country. That makes China to be able to build better bombs, better missiles, better space, uh, space station, better of everything. That's exactly what white supremacy does. That's exactly what white ethicism does. Okay, 
So, 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 so I'm going to conclude now. To me, it seems to me is that the white per, it, it, the white privilege for a white ethicist to judge non-white people's conduct. The white privilege means that for, it's for the whites to write the history of non-white peoples. This is why I want, I'm doing this. I want to retell the history about morality, about justice, from a non-white person, from a non-Christian person. Okay? I'm going to use another example, climate justice. Climate justice is a global justice issue. It's a topic of global justice. But unfortunately, as we all know, there's something called a global injustice, right? The global injustice is well known these days among all countries, among African countries, among South Asian countries. You know, talking about, you know, the United States dropping a lot of bombs in Cambodia and Laos. They have never exploded. They're still killing people there. Is that a global injustice? Is this an environmental issue? I bet it is. Is that global injustice? Should that be taking our first attention to address first? How can we tell the, low, uh, the, the people in Laos and Cambodia saying, hey, you need to stop burning coals for your electricity because we should care all about our environment. When their own environment are still littered with unexploded ammunitions. So who, who gets to decide the priority of such things? Should that be Al Gore? Should that be a white ethicist like Tristan Harris? I would say no. I would say no. You know, as as we know, Europeans, the, the first few industrial revolutions is considered to be the heavy polluters. Where the first uh, two industrial revolutions happens? In Europe, right? And actually, mostly in Britain. So UK probably is historically the biggest polluter ever. What they, you know, what's their fair share of a, of a dealing with the global climate? As we all know, that recently it's in the news that the Earth just passed eight billion people on this Earth. Environment issue is a pressing issue. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. But also, it's a, you know, a pressing threat is this. It's actually come up with, a, by, by no, no other than this a famous person called Adolf Hitler. There's a German word called a Lebensraum, translated into as living space in English. The Hitler's idea is similar. We have a very limited environmental resources. He called the living space. 
right? There are worthy human beings that deserve to live on the in this world, on this earth. And there are unworthy human beings. Jews definitely are not those worthy human beings. Therefore, you know, to preserve a living space, to preserve the environment, Hitler has his approach to this environmental justice. So when it comes to environmental justice, when it comes to environmental ethics, I wouldn't trust yet another white ethicist teaching me how should we move forward with the protecting that. So, 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 so that is, you know, what I want to, you know, to, to talk about today. And, uh, yeah, I know, I understand, you know, all my topics about, it's not about white people. It's really about the government. What we have is, I call it white majoritarian democracy. It's not going to last forever in America because the racial minorities, by, by the biology, by the population, there will be more non-whites in the future very soon. So I hate to see, I definitely don't want to, when the days when the whites become the racial minority in this country, whites become the victim of a government oppression. I don't want to see that. I think any individual in this country, regardless of his race, his color, his gender, his national origin, should have a, should be equally treated by the government. I don't want that to happen. I don't want what happened to the racial minorities in the past happen to the white minorities in the future. That's why I'm doing this. But at the same time, I also understand a lot of white folks is very disturbed when I talk about this. And that's exactly why I said you cannot rely on white historians to write history about this country. You have to have your own voices. I'm, I'm just doing my voices. So, William, I appreciate your stick around. Any comments and any questions, feedbacks and uh, disagreements, please share. No, I totally agree. I noticed we lost all our listeners. Um, apparently, it sups the white uh, privilege, uh, which surprises me on Colin. But um, anyway, uh, I put some things in live chat, Peter, that are very relevant. One, the doctrine of discovery. Let me quote this for you. This is Pope Nicholas V to King Alfonso V of Portugal, which you and I talked about in a prior calling. Invade, capture, and vanquish, and subdue all Sar Saracens, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and pagans, to reduce uh -huh. their persons. Yes. Yes. To perpetual slavery and to take away all their possessions and property. 1952, Pope Nicholas V to King Alfonso V of Portugal. Now, uh, do you want to comment on that? Should I go on? No, no, no. This is fantastic. Because uh, remember I mentioned earlier in your show that I think it's from a Portuguese uh, 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 a church in the Portu uh, Portu uh, uh, Portugal. Uh, sorry, Portuguese church or whatever, you know. Yeah, but but you 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 have it here. Yeah, go ahead. And I put the so that so there's a link in the chat as well uh, on the article. That's just obviously part of the text I copied. Um, 
Then we have, of course, a link to um, uh, a post on the Before It's News, but I find them to be fairly credible, um, citing the District of Columbia, the Vatican, and London City really running the the world uh, for the longest time. You know, Jeffrey Sachs, I, I don't know if you know, he, he got cut yes, off many well, times. Right. Yes, he yeah. he's a he's a he's a wow another outspoken uh, speaker, right? I, I get you know I I admire all these people. Yes, go ahead. I mean, just like you, William, you know, I truly enjoy you, many of your talking points. Trust me. Okay. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, of course, for those who don't know who may hear this, Jeffrey Sachs was cut off. He's a Columbia University professor, and I'd have to research again where he was speaking. Once he was cut off speaking in front of a forum. Oh, I, I know I know what you're talking about. Yes, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, where he cited the most violent nation on the earth up until the 1950s was the British Empire. And then since the United, when he said the United States, <laughs> the moderator, that's, that, that's enough, Jeffrey. Yeah. You know, I'm your moderator. <laughs> Cut him off. Timing is everything, right, William? <laughs> Even he never brought up uh, the United States, maybe he will not get cut off. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Unreal. Sorry, I mean, sorry. that the, they're trying see what they're doing here is a lot of these talks happen at Frost is a Columbia University professor, but they happen and they're broadcasting university students, of course. And what 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 they're doing is intentionally rewriting history to propagandize yeah, the youth. So they don't know what really happened. And they're of course they're scrubbing the internet, you know what I mean? Uh, the Google, CIA, PSYOP, uh, YouTube, uh yes. triad, you know? Yes. Big tech. Yep. So um, but he was also cut off. I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was Fox News when he was being interviewed and he began to cite that he had credible evidence that it was the U.S. That, and its allies that bombed Nord Stream 2 and Nord Stream 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, wait, <laughs> cut him off See, for that too. I'll tell you this. This is what, these mainstream media, they, they just cut off people. Um, yeah. no, I talk about the, ethics in environment, in uh, medicine, and in technology. But as you know, there's something called the journalistic ethics, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and once again, all these journalists, especially the mainstream media journalists, they just always self-complain like they are on a higher moral ground and all that. Mm -hmm. So it means like you all behave the same way. You cut yeah. off the dissenting opinion, right? And uh, and it's always those people. Those uh, you know, again, they have, they are very similar to the this uh, Catholic priest. I'm just holier than you all, right? Is a holier than all? Is, is that what that's called, right? Yeah. So yeah, right? You know, I'm the host. I'm the moderator. I have a moral mm. authority to stop you to say that, right? And uh, crazy. What is the point? Isn't it, isn't it? You know, again, you know, I, I know a lot of your your point of view. As you can imagine, William, that I don't necessarily agree with everything you said. But I will tell you, right. this, I totally respect your rights to say it out loud and finish your point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, and uh, no, I, like I said, these what I'm talking about really cuts into the psyche of a lot of white listeners because. What I'm saying is truth is that there is such a thing called the moral and the political chart of the world. And I truly believe that's made not by me, by someone way before all of us. 
Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's a use today, right? You know, and, uh, and uh, you know, I'm not trying to say communism is good, but I'm just saying historically, seems to me the Christians and the church is involved behind, heavily behind this thing called the colonizing non-whites and non-Christians. It's a fact, right? Oh yeah, well, and, they say the doctrine. Okay. Yeah, and now the communism historically is a fact that who rid of these kind of shit, right? Now, if you're unhappy with communism, I get it. You know, I understand, but nobody has a clean hand here. You know, I'm not saying communists has a higher moral uh, authority, nor the Christian churches. You know, mm. nobody. I'm just saying, right? So. Right. Well, you touched on a lot of subjects. Um, Some I put in the chat, but I guess there's a limited amount of space, so it kind of eliminated. But we know Operation Gladigo, Operation Paperclip. You know, this is these are operations, of course, that USCIA was heavily involved with, and and you know we can go into each one of those. But just for an example, you know, there's a whole list of things of history that we can prove and show. The nefarious action, Operation Northwoods, thank God JFK nixed that. Um, you know, uh, the Tuskegee experiments, you know, against blacks, the uh, plutonium injections, both of which uh, Clinton apologized for, if I'm not mistaken, in 94. Uh, you know, um, you talk about also, you know, uh, the uh, reservations, the internment camps, the things... The territories. We also have to remember the United States has the largest penal colony in the world. With yeah. the right? It's right here. Less slave yes. labor. Yes. Mm-hmm. With less than 5% well, of the world's population. A sad statistic most people don't know that yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. 80% of the women in prison have been molested. To that, by the time they get there, and then there's a lot of rape and abuse in prison. So, yeah, what would? Yeah, go ahead. Our, like I said, our justice system is a fraud. Period. I mean, yes, that includes prison. That includes prison, right? In other words, I, uh, you know, I. It's, it's, it, so again, you're correct. You know, I mean, you clearly, you know, you 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 you're born and raised here. You know a whole yeah. lot more about America than I do. Trust me. Right. What I'm doing, as you can tell, you know, I just follow. Say, hey, this is the law written on the book. How come you don't follow when it comes when a party is a racial minority? And this is what I'm trying to say, right? And uh, oh yeah, I know exactly. You know, I, I you know what you're talking about. The uh, the uh, the uh, the justice system in this country. It's entirely broken because the next Sunday I want to talk about Trump uh, and this uh, most recent episode about his running, and now uh, Mary Garland is appointing a, a, a independent counsel. And I will just explain again the you know the scheme of of, of this uh, fraudulent criminal justice system. I'm very happy to see that it's being applied to Donald Trump. Because, uh, I mean, again, this is a little, you know, maybe off topic, maybe it is relevant. No, it's not at all. You know, uh, 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 William, I'll tell you, like, like, it's funny that it's the first world war between white nations that created the Soviet Union. Mm. And then it's the second world war 
wars between white nations created China. Uh-huh. Okay, it is the U.S. Civil War between two northern whites and the south southern whites that liberated slaves. You yeah. see what I'm getting here? When the whites are fighting among themselves, racial minority actually benefit. So I actually enjoy Mary Garland. I consider him, you know, like you said, a corrupt DOJ, right? He's that's just. I love him seeing him pursuing Donald Trump. Let the two fight it out, right? That's where I can see. I said, look, this is how, this is what hypocrisy is. This is what fraud, injustice is. You know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you short. Go ahead. No, there's a lot to talk about. I'm in no hurry. I know you have time limits, but um, we could pick up another episode. Clearly. Um, there's so much to digest here. Um, the other, th- you know, uh, the U.S. Um, military is creates 50 percent of the United States greenhouse gases, right? <laughs> well, yeah. let's keep. There's more to consider when we talk about China and their greenhouse gases. We have to remember. <clears throat> pardon me. With less than five percent of the world's population, the U.S. consumes twenty-five percent of the world's resources. So, who's making the products now that the U.S. is buying, and how did that happen? Do you follow me? In other words, in the nineteen sixties, ninety percent of the products in an American's home was made in America. There was a big push. You know, there was a jingle. You know, look for the Union label, which you may not have heard when I was younger. Um, to keep the manufacturing home and the union uh, in the United States and unions. Well, it was a North American free trade agreement, right? The Bayesian free trade agreement, the Asian free trade agreement, the Trans-Pacific Pacts, all done intentionally to move the manufacturing to Mexico and China to take advantage of the large populations, a lack of environmental regulations and labor regulations that the U.S. companies bipartisan agreed on those treaties and in fact infiltrated the chinese government right in that regard so that all this would be set up to move the economic manufacturing powerhouse of the world to china and you have the world economic forum dovetail in the bilderberg group where in even in, uh, as, as recent as um 2018 what you need to know about the Belt and Road Initiative, WEF, you know, WEF site, and then 2022, how the Belt and Road Initiative is going to contribute to the greening of the economy. So this is not done by accident. The, the U.S. corporate predator parasite class loves this because one quick example. There used to be manufacturing plants in, in Flint. We've all heard of Flint. And that's another thing where the, the water is, is polluted in these uh-huh. yeah. low income, yeah. uh-huh. right? You know where I'm going with Flint. And then we yeah. had, um, yeah. the latest one in, uh, uh, I'm drawing a senior moment here. It starts with an M, the, the city, uh, where they had the same problem with the water. Mississippi? I think of Mississippi. Is yes. What time yes. Mississippi. Mississippi. Jackson. Mm-hmm. I think it's Jackson or mm-hmm. anyway, in Mississippi. Yeah. These things are let go for decades and decades till they reach a point where, you know, it's poisoning 
they're, they're called sacrifice zones. Sacrifice zones is where the manufacturing hubs of America were at one time, where now it's been outsourced, and what's left is a sacrifice zone of broken down, decrepit infrastructure and social programs that are starved so that people are in desperate means. And what is that, you know, what's the result of that? Do you see what I'm saying? And so we had. Yes, I do. Also happened in, in, of course, steel country, you know, all the way up the East Coast, especially the Northeast manufacturing hub from, you know, I can go through all the, the where, where, from, from where I live in Bridgeport, which was a manufacturing hub of America for the wars, 500 manufacturing plants. Then you go down to the Carolinas, you get the furniture manufacturing was not only there, but centralized. And then you also, you go up north a little bit, you have Massachusetts, the textile industries were concentrated there. In between, you had Rhode Island, the jewelry industries. Well, what you have is this bleeding of jobs, but people want to blame Chinese people, Mexican people, uh, uh, Central American people for the loss of their jobs. No wake up people. Your job was given away by a greedy corporatist who wanted to maximize profit, minimize costs, reduce any regulations. And what they had here, for example, the Deflect plant in Flint, which they basically leveled, was making the parts for General Motors, like brake cylinders, master cylinders, alternators. They are producing product now in Mexico, paying an equivalent of $3 an hour to those workers. So when they move there, they don't enrich those workers. No, they work them at slave labor. Do you find me? And it's yes, continual do. exploitation that is a crime against humanity that our government, which is ruled by the corporations, transnational corporations, including the banksters, you know what I mean? The global cabalists, that, that the Western hegemony is a parasitic. Look, people say you're anti-American, Bill. No, I'm not. I am not. I'm an anti-crime. Do you follow me? Unfortunately, America is a yes, gigantic crime syndicate. Do you follow me? International in yes, scope. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So, I mean, yes. I, I know I'm yeah, singing to the I choir. Agree, but... I, no, yeah. I no, I So I just felt that if I run into someone on the street, most likely we all hold goodwill as a human being towards each oh, other. Oh, sure. It's always those social media and uh, uh people uh, i mean sorry the mainstream media and something some people you know, so they want to instigate they want to us uh, to hate each other yes. i don't hate anyone and i have a lot of white friends too because basically what i'm trying to say is that this government this form of government is not going to be sustainable because first of all like i said the population is changing guess what right. like i said in my past is that the more we the the more instability the u.s government did in violation of our own constitution in overseas territories, then the yep. more immigrants are going to get here, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. we did the, we did not intervene, uh, we did not mess up a UK policy. We don't use mess with France. That's why we don't have a lot of uh, French uh, migration uh, yeah. migrants, right? We, yeah. right? So the more you get them in, that you're so you know who you blame? You blame Mexican for coming here? You or you Guatemalan the you know, you know, we messed up their their shit, right? That's why they come to us. Oh yeah. Well, so, right? this is documented. So now, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So I I run into any well, I don't hate them. You know, I made white person. I don't hate them. No white person did anything wrong to me. I mean, historically, any dispute, maybe I was driving crazy or he's driving crazy. 
you know, but that that's just normal, human to human, not not a racial issue, right? So so, but like you said earlier, is that the mainstream media and the government they love to instigate hatred among people. They would say, mm-hmm. oh, because the Chinese are polluting the air, the Mexicans are providing cheaper labor, that's why we go there, blah, blah, blah. No, right. you guys did it. And I said, I'll yeah. give you another example, okay? I always said, it. now we, the U.S., so, 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 okay, I don't take sides when it comes to Taiwan, but I, I know this. Taiwan used to, Taiwanese, there's a, at least one Taiwanese used to sit on the permanent, uh, as a permanent member of UN Security Council, somewhere in 1970 or 1972, right? For some reason, the Taiwanese got kicked out. How mm. did that happen? Who did right. that? Did the communist Chinese uh, kind of assassinate that Taiwanese ah, representative ah, of China? Ah, no, no, no. I will tell you this. I can tell you conclusively. It's the U.S. government's doing. Somehow, sneakingly, get him out of it. Right, yeah. that guy literally can say, "No, I'm the legal representative." You know, blah, blah. no, no, the United States government, for its own self-interest, kicked the Taiwanese representative out of the permanent seat of the U.S. Security Council. Why you turn around and say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa"? No, no. I mean, you know, just let's face it. You change your mind. You won't make China your enemy. Just say it, right? If you say it, then you, are, in my opinion, you are. You know, you you fit my moral standard. You say what you mean. You mean what you say, right? But you don't. You keep you know come up with all this kind of a you know inflamed rhetorics. Somehow you know, you know somehow you know I'm a thief. I'm a froster. No, no, no. You decided to do it. Like like you said, William, it's the U.S. government and the big business make a conscientious decision. To outsource as a part of you know the policy and the business yeah. practice, you know That's don't blame fucking Japanese for for Japanese yeah. imports of cars right. and all that because we agreed they can come in, you know. So you know. Well, there's uh, so, more yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. For yeah. example, remember the American car companies too big to bail out. Remember that, and of course the banks surge. The point I'm trying to make is that it's design obsolescence that drove people to Japanese cars because they're manufacturing a superior product. That's why the Japanese car sales went through the roof because the American companies deny, uh, design up a selescence that caused product failure early on and unsafe vehicles. So, you know, but yet they got bailed out. Of course, you know, once again, our taxpayers bail out the predatory class, you know what I mean? And, um, and, and the European bankers that came over that were the reason for the revolt, for the, you know, for the, for the movement against Europe, the, the, the revolutionary war. Of course, we, that whole history jives right with the doctrine of discovery. The American Indian, uh, genocide. Interesting. Yes, you're right. I'm sorry. Let me just double check the time you have said. You're right. I'm, I'm just checking your text on. So it's the date of the 1452. Bingo. Yes. yes. Bingo. Thank you, William. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I so know what you're saying. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, of course, 
you know, the numbers of American Indians genocide, you hear various reports, up to 150 million, some of it from disease, of course, brought over by Europeans, but also we know, you know, the treaties constantly made and broken, and we, we've heard of, you know, Custard Last Stand. Of course, you know, it's written, the history is written by the Americans, so now you're trying to distill out what's really happened. We know about the orphanages, state-sponsored Catholic orphanages, what they did to the yes. children. I mean, yes. That's the, yes, exactly. And then we have the, yes, I mean, it's a, exactly. we have a history, and it's not you and me. Look, my, my, not, my relatives were born in Italy and Germany, right? I wasn't born during those times. I had no control over what was going on in these older times. So, exactly. and that's true of most people alive today. Do you follow mm -hmm. me? And so yes, it's not about demonizing Americans, Western Europeans or anything. It's about accepting no, the crimes of the British Empire, of the international banksters, of the Kabbalists that ran the railroad system. You know, we can name the major families, you know, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the Warburgs, the Astors. You know, these were just to begin with. We have the Khazarian mafias and I'll say it, the Zionists. The mafia, the Italian mafia, this world is run by mafias that have not mm -hmm. gone away. They've just gone undercover. Do you follow yes. me? And you, yes, I do. That's exactly what's happening. And now I want yes. to address for anyone who always says I'm anti-Semitic when I mention the Zionist mafia. You have Shalomet Aloni, who was the Israeli cabinet member who won the 2000 Israeli award on an interview with Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Quote, unquote, she says... Anti-Semitism, it's a trick. We always use it. We always use it, she said. And you can find that. Anyone I'll, can search I'll tell you, William, I, we, I, we, you and I can have a totally different separate episode about this anti-Semitism. Because yes. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a close friend with this Jewish lawyer, right? You know, he always said uh, uh -huh. he considered himself a Semite, not a white person. Okay. But uh, going back, so, uh, but before I Yeah, forget, I want to finish I really the quote. Let me finish Go the ahead. quote because I don't want anyone to say I left it out and claim he's saying things yeah. out of context. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh -huh. Yeah. Go ahead. We always use it, she said, and, I, and I'm to the best of my recollection, to suppress the 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 the, the criticism of Zionist Israel and and or Zionist Judaism in Israel. Okay, now there may be an adjective off there because you know, there's so much I can store between my ears, but clearly you can find it. Amy Goodman, Democracy Mao, um, and, 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 you know, she's telling the truth. God bless her. Do you follow me? Because there's a lot of people in Israel who do not agree with the Zionist agenda. Nice. And there's history that the Zionists are really Khazarians from Eastern Europe that you know, kind of infiltrated the Jewish religion through marriage. Do you follow me? This is a history I read. Now, of course, I wasn't alive back then. If someone wants to correct me, go ahead. You know what I mean? And that gave rise to Zionism. It's, there's a lot of rabbis who've spoken out against Zionism. Do you follow me? So Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, I want to just before I forget, well, you, you touched yes. on very important points, this, is that I'm pretty sure you actually yourself, you yourself, it's actually a religious person. You just don't believe yes. the church. What the church is doing is uh, it's the, what the, the Bible is teaching them to do, right? It's not I mean, the New I'm, Testament. Exactly. Like, like what I do is like I'm not I'm not hating any churches or any any mm -hmm. race. I'm no, just saying me neither. This looks like 
these are these are historic facts written on the paper by by the you know the most educated, the most privileged people, and they said this thing, right? And uh, like Muhammad Ali once said, because he he claimed uh, to be a Muslim, uh, a Muslim, yeah. but he said he said I, it's not like I dislike Christians. He said the only problem I have is that. That in America, this Christian is not doing what the Christian teaching is telling them to do. <laughs> so, Absolutely true. 100%. He's saying that to a, a, a bunch of a British uh, a UK audiences, and mm -hmm. they all laughed because they said, "You said you look at the British; the streets are clean, and people get along with each other." And there's, a, I see, mm -hmm. you know, color people. You know, they're treated the. Uh, you know, equally and uh, respectfully. Yeah. So that's not the case in America. But again, this is back in the '60s, right? You still have a to your face harassment just because you know if you want to vote. And being a black person and all that, right? And, well, which is true, I spent, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was going to tell on. you, I coached American football in Portsmouth, England, for two seasons to a bunch of ex-rugby players who want to learn to play American football in the semi-pro league, and their mm -hmm. interracial marriages were common. I, you know, not, no one thought anything of it. Guys show up at the pub, you know, interracial. You know, we're all, there was not even, you know. I, you know, I mean, Europe is a little different on this matter. I don't know about France, but I know England from what I experienced there. And, um, uh -huh. and, and, you know, and the other thing I know I'm, I just let me say, cause, um, we're the only country that's dropped nuclear weapons on anybody. And that was yes, totally right. unnecessary because yes. they were, they were negotiating a treaty. It's just uh -huh. that the U.S. wanted complete surrender. And that, that mm -hmm. to mention what brought about that war, the sanctioning of Japan. You follow me? The yes. the, the sanctions yes, that we're uh, laying yes, on all of that. Right? Yes, sir. That's why and, I actually. Uh -huh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, the other thing you have is you have Pearl Harbor. There was uh, we had we had we had information right through our uh, military that that this was there was going to be an attack on the Philippines ahead of time. And MacArthur's base in the Philippines, and then you have Pearl Harbor, they had a plan called the Pacific Plan, where if one base was attacked, the other base would take to the air and counterattack, right? Do you know that MacArthur's base never counterattacked? Ever. And they, those planes were up in the air, circulating until they ran out of fuel because MacArthur's subordinate couldn't get MacArthur to approve. They, when the planes landed, then the Japanese blew them off the tarmac. You follow me? Nine hours after Pearl Harbor. And where were the aircraft carriers that always accompany battleships for protection? They're out on an alleged training exercise. Sounds a lot like 9-11. Like how, how NORAD got infiltrated because the jet fighters are on a training exercise. Let me tell you something. If you or I were, were in charge of that operation, either of those, we might have a couple pilots we want to get in the air or, or a small group of them or whatever. We would never leave those places unprotected that's a training the training exercise takes a small portion of the pilots of the carriers to do it you're not going to abandon it completely and allow it your whole flank uh, completely open to attack that you have mm -hmm. to look at the course of events and realize you know there's a lot of information that it's it was um gestell schnapper rothschild that said if my sons did not want war there would be none Exactly. War, Michael Rivera. War is a racket. Michael Rivera. Yes, uh, the banks I, I, yes, finance. I, I, yes, I, I, I recall he, uh, he his uh, book uh, notes uh, on the C-SPAN about the totally. I I'll tell you this uh, is that uh, I 
I totally hope for peace and work for peace. Because I, like I always said, uh, if the law and the court system uh, worked, there should there should be no war because we shall be able right. to resolve our conflict in a civil civilized matter manner, right? Yes. Through courts on that, right? So yeah, I mean, totally. Yeah. I, before I forget, Jonah says that you know, like I said earlier, is that I don't think that you are a hateful person about the uh, Catholics. You just no. disagree with what they're doing, right? And I'm not a, against any religion. You know, I'm, I'm just a non-believer myself, but I respect people's spirituality because that's their that personal private belief. I should never invade because that's their territory. That's their sovereign domain that I, sh- I should never step on it, right? And uh, and uh, and like Muhammad, uh, Muhammad Ali said, you know, he said he doesn't hate Christian. He's just saying, in America back then, you know, he does not believe the Christians are practice Christianity. You know, Look, and, let, let's uh, let's we need to separate a couple of things real quick. We have the Catholic religion that comprises about sixteen or seventy percent of the world's population. That's it. When you mm-hmm. combine that with Christians, Protestants of all manner, you have about 33 percent of the population. The Muslim okay. religion considers Christ a prophet and writes about him in the Quran. And in their text, some 50 times refers to Jesus as a prophet. The, the New Testament is, Jesus said, just to clarify that, that he said, the letter of the law killeth. He's talking about the Old Testament and a lot of things in the letter of the law and Jewish law. The spirit of the law bringeth eternal life. And the best example of that is adulteresses, the, the punishment was to stone the adulteress, right? So what did Jesus do? He drew a line in the sand, said he without sin cast the first stone, saved Mary Magdalene, she became one of his greatest disciples. So there's a lot of a lot of things that we don't see. Clearly, Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jew who most likely had dark skin and probably did not have blue eyes and blonde hair. Oh, William, you, you are touching another... Oh, wow, because I was uh, in a neighborhood barber shop. You know, I recently have to change barber because uh, my mm-hmm. prior barber, who a Me- uh, Mexican lady, uh, find a better job, a better career, right? So I end up to the neighborhood barber. In the black, uh, in the, the barber is a black person, and he's a pastor also. He has his own church. So I asked him, is Jesus really white? He said, no. Yeah, <laughs> he of course not. Was present, was present. And then he, he, he threw me so much stuff. I was like, wow. I was like, then all these pictures, because, uh, you know, I actually went to Villanova University, which is uh, outside yeah. Philadelphia, uh, Catholic school. And yeah. when I first came to the United States, right? I was oh, like, then wow. those pictures probably is not a, a correct depiction of what actual uh, Jesus is, right? So. Well, he surely wasn't light skinny. He would have been burned to a torch. He was he was a Middle Eastern. He walked everywhere he went. There was no plane, train, or automobile. He would have been smoked and red and, you know, uh, laid down with heat stroke if he was light skinned, blue eyed. I mean, come on. Yeah. I, 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 I'm sorry. I know. Do you have to go, Peter? No, no, it's okay. But I think we should go because I'm doing this every Sunday, so we can always catch yeah. up, right, William? Yeah, okay, very okay, good. Great talk. And I was moving, I've been moving recently, so the cell phone signal is no good. I actually have to drive to a Home Depot to get a better sure. signal. But I'm going to do that uh, every Sunday from this point on. So, uh, again, greatly appreciate it, William. Enjoy talking to you always, you know. Same here, Peter.